And we are live. Welcome back to the Digital Creators Podcast. Um, in this episode, we have Grace Lamb as our guest. Welcome, Grace. Hello, hello, Harry. So, Grace Lamb is one of Asia's most prominent editors and stylists. And after 26 years in the styling industry, she is now based in Perth and continues her work from here. Grace was born in Hong Kong, but lived in London for most of her life. She graduated with first class honours in graphic design and joined ID Magazine as a fashion assistant to Edward Ennifel, who is currently the editor-in-chief at British Vogue. In 2005, she was part of the launch team behind Vogue China, where she was the senior fashion style editor until 2014. She worked with industry greats, including Kate Moss, Naomi Campbell, Giselle Budgen, Maggie Chung uh, from One Car Wise in the Mood for Love, John Wu, Mario Testino, Annie Leibovitz, Lana Del Rey, and F1 driver Fernando Alonso. Her work has appeared in Vogue Italia, Vogue Japan, Architectural Digest, V Magazine, and Tatler. Her clients include Dior, Burberry, Calvin Klein, Mandarin Hotels, Dyson, Huawei, and Adidas, to name a few. She relocated to Perth in 2020 with her photographer husband, Jason Capobianco, and their son. Um, in this episode, we're going to talk about Grace's background, her work as an international stylist, whether it's possible to work with big clients as a Perth creative, and why, stories from working with the industry's greats, where Australia stands in the fashion industry, and more. Wow, what <laughs> what an intro there. That's like, I mean, you've had such like an incredible career so far. Um, can you sort of take us back to where it sort of started in Hong Kong and um, growing up, were you kind of like a creative child and that sort of thing? So when I was growing up in Hong Kong, I'm the youngest of four girls. Um, I have a twin sister and my two elder sister. And my, my, my dad is an accountant. My mum is like a lady of leisure. <laughs> and my elder sisters, the two elder ones, are like one is an accountant lawyer and then the other one is in business. So when it came to my me and my twin sister, um, we are definitely more creative, um, the creative bunch out of the whole family. So my twin sister is an architect, and you know I'm I did graphic design Central St Martins, but I went to down the fashion path after that. Um, I was always creative, and I liked clothes when I was young, but I never thought I was going to go into fashion because mm. I just wasn't. It was never like a diehard fashion person. But I, I just like clothes because my mum is a very stylish woman. Yeah. So she had a lot of influence on us because she dressed so well. Um, and she's colorblind. So, so, but she, she can put clothes really well together. And I think she had a lot of influence on, on me um, when I was younger. But not until when I went to England for UK boarding school. Then, you know, I was in an all-girls school. So obviously, you know girls talk about clothes and fashion and supermodels and yeah so that's when i started like reading like vogues and l mary claire you know all those magazines and then yeah that's i mean i took an interest but whether i was diehard fashion person i was not mm. yeah was um fashion more of a popular thing in london compared to hong kong um i mean you know london is a hub of creativity you know and they're full of creative people and just full of cool people, you know. So if you go down to Carnaby Street or Camden, you can always find like very alternative looking people, right? And 
that's what I love about London is so diverse, you know, and you can just meet people quite easily. Yeah. Um, because I, you know, I spent most of my life in London, so I had a really good group of friends there. Um, and most of them are creative people. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And you, um, you worked at ID Magazine as well. That was kind of your main sort of your first um, job over in London. Yeah, yeah. So I, I did graphic design at St. Martin's. And then my sec- end of my second year, the founder of ID, Terry Jones, came to give us a talk um, about graphic design, about ID. And of course, I was reading ID at that point as well, right? And then um, he came for a talk and then I kind of stayed behind and I had loads of questions to ask him. Mm. And then he said to me, oh, you look like you dress really well. Do you want to become a stylist? I was like, wow. I was he just like, said that just yeah. right off the bat. Wow, yeah. That's I was like, what's that? You know, what do they do? What do stylists, you know, what do stylists do? You know, he was like, well, why don't you come and intern for us? So that's when I started interning for them. And, you know, to do internship in a magazine, you're basically at the bottom of the ladder, right? You have to do everything, you know, get the coffee, return all yeah. the clothes, you know, it's not very glamorous. And there's a lot of work. Um, or not getting paid, you know. Um, so it was, uh, I did that during my last year. Um, and then after I graduated, he offered me a job to be his PA. Mm. But at that point, you know, I, I didn't want to be his PA. I was like, I'm not a secretary. I'm a creative person, mm. you know. But in hindsight, I, in hindsight, I should have taken it. And it would be like a really great way to start my career. But I just, I didn't, and then I went away and I assisted other stylists, and then and then I went back to ID to do more internship, and I met Edward Enningfall. Um wow. And then when his assistant left, um, he called me and said, hey, you come for an interview, and then I got the job straight away. And then let's say I got a job on Monday, and then like Wednesday or Thursday, he flew me to Milan, and we did the Joe Sanders show. I was wow. like, oh, it was kind of crazy because... At that point, I did maybe two shows in London as an assistant, but to do something like in like such big bigger scale, I was like, "Oh, this is crazy, man!" Yeah, especially quite early on in your career. Yeah, That's yeah, like quite amazing. Yeah, so it was it was super scary because it's quite intense doing fashion shows. I mean, for what like a less than ten minute show, it takes a lot of work. People don't mm. even know, you know, mm. from like casting to styling. You know, you have to pick thousands of clothes for like you know 30 40 outfits oh. and casting models and how to you know how to talk to models how to do polaroids how to do i mean it sounds very easy but actually there's a lot of organization that's why i'm such an organized person now from all those training yeah yeah anally organized yeah because you have to be yeah you know, if you miss one look that's supposed to go with like you know like a blue shirt instead of a red one then you're in trouble you know Mm, for sure because it's all about sell you know sales yeah um and by then you know people going to order from from the whole collection you know, that determines what how well the collection will sell so for sure and i guess uh london's quite a small city in a way did you find it like just really beneficial sort of being surrounded um by you know sort of greats in the industry i suppose they're not um, was it was it kind of difficult to make it into that scene or just um, you kind of had to have the right mindset of like networking and putting yourself out there? I mean, you do, of course you do, you know, it's like in any industry, right? But at the same time, maybe because I was, I didn't plan anything, 
that's why I, I didn't have expectations, I think, to get into fashion. And, and when I got in, it wasn't easy, but it wasn't like super difficult either. I mean, I did a lot of internships. I did, I did, I assisted quite a lot of um, different magazines and, you know, I assisted other magazines like, what was it, Mary Claire or for a few months and just to meet different people. Um, it's a very connect, you know, it's all about connections. Yeah. And, and I think when Edward Enningfield called me for an interview, after I assisted, started assisting him, everything just went off. You know? Yeah. Did you find you just had to kind of get your foot in the door in that yeah. sort of scene and then from that it kind of was like a snowball yeah, effect? Yeah, 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 yeah. But also, I mean, it depends what kind of person you are, right? You know, if you if you party a lot, of course you're going to meet people that you want to party with and you might be able to help you. I didn't really do stuff like that. Um, maybe I should have, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just... I don't know, everyone has a different way, but my way was just, I just wanted to enjoy my job and just meet and work with nice people. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And be maybe surrounded by creative, yeah. like-minded people, yeah. Um, what gave you the confidence to make that move to London? Because I was already, because um, I I went to high school in London, in, in UK, so my boarding school was just an hour from London, so I knew London pretty well. Mm-hmm. And my twin sister started architecture school at the Architecture Association. So she already started studying there. And I was like, oh, you know, after I came back from Paris, I went to Paris when I was 18 for a year, for less than a year, trying to learn French. And then after that, I went back to UK, didn't really know what I wanted to do. And then my mom was like, oh, all my friends' kids are doing like hotel management. Why don't you try mm-hmm. that? And then I was like, okay, I'll try it, you know. And um, and I did it for like five, six months and then hated it. It's really hard work. I mean, hats off to anybody who works in the hotel business. Um, it's very hard work. And then after that, I applied to Chelsea College of Art for, for a foundation course and I got in. And then from then I applied for St. Martin's and I got in. And I think that was a really good foundation because I'm not really into fashion design. Yep can't sew i can't draw very well um so to go in from graphic design side um i think it gives another dimension to creativity so i'm not just purely about fashion design i think that's quite good it's a good good combination so when i went into publishing magazines it helps to you know give a voice to like layout or an opinion why what i would like my layout to be and all that so that that really helped i think so you went um from doing graphic design to doing pub- like publishing work at uh, ID, were you like a doing graphic design work at ID as well? No, I was. Uh, I helped the art department at the beginning, um, the very basics of like scanning and all that, and you know, scanning the countless of pictures and then trying to organize the limited edition like book that they had. Um, so I helped out with the art department, but I wasn't very good at computers. I wasn't very good at it. So um, so then I jumped to the fashion department and then, which is more my thing. So okay. I, I would, you know, assist on fashion shoots and just doing all that. And then, so by the Did time- they I kind of uh, choose you for that because they kind of noticed you had style and you would like, how did they kind of see you had a talent in styling? ID is a very small office. It was because at that point they bought, they, they, they I think Time Out owned them at that point. Um, so the office was on Tomcott Road, and um, the office the team is quite small actually. We had a lot of freelancers, 
So I was just an assistant there, just doing whatever needs to be done. And so when I, and then they started giving me like very small shoots, like, you know, like a, a product shop to style, you know. So they're quite good at like giving opportunities to, to young people. Um, but then obviously after a while, um, when there were no full-time position, I just started assisting other stylists in other magazines. So I did that for a few months and then Edward called me and then I just went full-time with him. Okay, and uh, I guess you were his um, assistant, so what type of work were you doing? Oh, everything. I was like his PA, his everything, you know. Um, I had to do everything. So that's why I'm so organized now. Um, but it was there were two of us, so it kind of helped with the workload. Um, so from doing anything, from like calling in, so he would give us the the brief of the shoot that we're gonna do for Italian Vogue or for ID. I want this brand. So back then, there were no um, we we had we were doing emails, but a lot of the PR companies they were doing faxes as well. Yeah. So you have to fax your okay. request over. So like admin work and like admin that sort of and and if you want a coffee you have to go and get it. If you want some lunch takeaway I have to go and get it or the other assistant, you know, it's everything basically. So you're basically like you're his PA and fashion assistant. And um were you doing any styling at that point? Um we not the first year. So I did I was with him for a couple of years, um, not at the beginning. Um so basically we did we were calling all the clothes and then obviously on a shoot you have to get there earlier than he would and then you have to lay everything out, make sure everything's organized. Um and yeah, just in charge of the whole production before he before Edward gets there. Mm. Once he's there, he was he would do his magic and he would style clothes and then you make sure that what he picked is what's going to, ha- you know, appear on the model. And, um, yeah. And, I mean, it was a great journey with him because I learned a lot from him because he was so good at what he was doing. Yeah. And because he's such a great character and when he's on set, he's always, you know, happy, loud and fun and everyone has a great time shooting. So as much as it was like a very fast-paced um environment is also like maybe a, f- a fun environment working with different creators as well yeah i mean most of the people that he worked with they were like heavyweights you know like yeah meritostino craig mcdean you know, paolo reversi these are the people that i read in a magazine and then when i met them i was like wow this is kind of crazy you know um but yeah there were you know it, w- it was a really good experience you know looking back but it was hard work can't lie like sometimes i get I remember, especially when I was doing, you know, Milan fashion shows, I would get quite jaded because here I am, you know, a little Chinese assistant on set and then all these models comes in and they earn like thousands and thousands of dollars and you're like, wow, I just spent like 14 hours working and what do I get, you know? Mm. And then, and then I, you know, the, the insecure side kind of kicks in and go, oh, I wish I was taller. I wish I looked like this so I can be a model as well and you know, um, all that, that just pops in when you're that age, when they're young and you're like, why are they getting paid so much? And I'm just here, just like, you know, ironing clothes, you know? Mm. I think that is one part of the fashion industry that makes people, it makes people kind of very insecure if you don't have the right mindset. Yeah. I mean, for models, it's even worse. You know, I'm, I was, I was just a fashion, fashion assistant 
and sometimes I will th- think like that, and other yeah. times I'm like, oh, I can't think of anything worse, you know, just have to go naked in front of people and all that and stuff, you know. Mm. Um, but being a model is very, I mean, as much as it looks easy, I think the mental side of it, it gets you every time. I've, I don't know, throughout this, all these years, I've met loads of even really big models. They will, you know, you can see that they get also very insecure when it comes to casting. And I had one person that came up to us when we were doing the show that she wasn't picked and she was so famous already. And she basically was very teary. And then mm. she was like, how come you didn't t- take a Polaroid of me? You know, is, is it me? Is yeah. it? I'm like, wow, this girl is so famous. And she's even acting like that, you know? So that kind of side, I was like, wow, it's not healthy, you know, to make girls to feel that way. It's just not right. Mm. But, you know, I hope by now that, you know, this has changed. Yeah, I guess more of a... Um Direct question on that. What do you, in your opinion, what's what are the pros and the cons of the fashion industry, the fashion world? The pros and cons. Um, is always great fun, and you meet all these fun and creative people. Um, it's it's a fun job, basically. I I can't think of any other jobs. Probably in the film industry, maybe you meet a lot of creative people that's kind of similar. Um, it's a super fun job, and it's always changing. There's always new people coming in and out and, you know, who, you know, everybody loves fashion design or clothes, right? So, um, so that part is really good. And the cons is, I think, because fashion moves in such a fast pace, um, I don't think it's good for the environment, you know, mm-hmm. the amount of clothes that the fashion industry produce, you know. It's one of the biggest pollution for the planet i think it's the second biggest um a lot of designers are doing their part um a lot of brands are doing their part but at the same time um it's going to take such a long time because there's always demand of new pieces new collections that's why it's still carrying on you know um the cons i guess um probably body image as well um to make people especially women think that oh when you get to a certain age you should should be this fit you should be having a six pack when you're still 60 or all these i just don't think is realistic Mm. um you know not everyone can have a really strong mindset you know if you're like 16 then you get told time after time oh you're not good enough to to walk this show that's going to affect you a lot yeah yeah, I think um, just like you were saying, as much as there's like the glitz and the glamour of the fashion world and the fashion industry um, and like a lot of models see that and they're like, wow, that's amazing. I want to do that. I want to be that. Um, yeah, there's like the other side to it. There's like the uh, kind of can make you feel quite insecure. You're yeah. comparing yourself to other people. You're yeah. kind of meeting the demands of uh, these agencies or magazines or photographers and um, I guess it's not as easy as you might think. Yeah, and I also feel it's um, the safety of, of, you know, especially for models or for anybody. Uh, this is it for every industry, right? It's um, the safety of, of people, whether you're a guy or a girl, you know. For people to who are in higher places, maybe they abuse their power and how to protect each other. I think that's mm. very important. Yeah, I think especially if you're dealing with all these high-level people and you'll be like, wow, 
this person that kind of can put you in a vulnerable yes. situation, I yes. think. Yeah. Um, and also, yeah, in regards to the impact on the environment, um, I think, yeah, there's there's like two sides to this fashion world. I see there's like the sort of trends. For example, uh, you might see this trend and you want to buy that piece of clothing and you want to kind of look like the current trend and then there's like actual style which is like knowing yourself knowing what uh fabrics uh suit you and who you want then you're not sort of like following the trend and i think now with social media like tiktok or whatever like you, people are seeing those trends like every day there's a new trend there's a new shoe there's a new this and that and that makes them kind of purchase like the newest thing whereas uh in reality, if they wanted to kind of have a sense of style, they would, um, they're kind of better off knowing themselves and discovering themselves. Which is hard when you're young, you know, when you're like me, 40 something, of course you can, you know, stop those temptations, right? You know, but if you are like 14, 15 and you see your mates having the latest, like, you know, Adidas, and of course you kind of want that, you know. Um, I think it's the message. I think, but I think the the new generation they they're quite smart. They're very smart, you know, compared to when I was that age, you know. So, I think it's it's definitely changing. Um, but on an, another side of the sustainability, a lot of designers would say to you or editors would say, "Spend more money, buy better quality, so it will last longer," which is also very true. But I don't think most people can afford that kind of price, you know. Um, so it's a, it's a difficult one, I think. If you ask people not to buy fast fashion, it's very easy to say. But you, when you have low income mm. and you, you do want to buy your kids some new clothes, then what, where are you going to go? Of course you're going to go to like Kmart. You're not going to go to like, you know, Baby Dior, are you? So it's, it's unrealistic to say that. I mean, to buy very expensive clothes there's only like maybe i don't know 10 percent of the world population probably can do that so most people need to uh, need to buy fast fashion with you know and they don't have a choice um i mean i i like to buy you know long-lasting clothing as well and i really like vintage clothing um so when i lived in london half of my wardrobe were like all from portobello or like secondhand shop or vintage shops but when I went to when I moved to Hong Kong from London, I realized that back then it wasn't very popular, and then there weren't many like vintage shops in Hong Kong. There were like a few compared to London, and then people just kind of like this vintage clothing. They were like, "Oh, you know, dead people wore mm -hmm. it and all that." You know, especially your Chinese. My mom would say to me, "Why are you wearing that? You know, some dead someone died in it." You know, I'm like, "Ma, it's cool because it's cool." You know, yeah. Um, so it's, it's hard to convince people, I think, but for the past maybe five years or three years, it's been really popular with the whole, you know, rebuy, resell, and where's I can, which is great to see. I'm very happy to see that. Yeah, 100%. Even uh, you have these apps with like, you can sell second clothing like Depop or yeah. Grailed or that sort of thing. Um, do you think it's possible for someone to find their style without going through? So many clothes because like when you're finding your style, you're like trying this type of clothing, going out wearing this, buying like another thing. Is it and that 
kind of has that impact on the environment because you're buying so many things. Is it possible to find your style without doing that? I guess you kind of have to go through that phase of buying and trying lots of different things. Yeah. I think everyone, everyone has their own style for sure. But, I mean, I've kept some of many things I've bought from like H&M or Zara um, because they, I still really like them. They're like more than 10 years old, you know. So I, I think, yes, we shouldn't buy fast fashion labels. But at the same time, if you do decide to buy it, try and buy something you really, really like and you can keep longer, you know. Mm. Um, make sure you take care of your, your wardrobe and even fast fashion can last for a long time. Um so when before I left Hong Kong in 2019, prior to that, maybe three years prior to that, um, I kind of s- start losing interest in luxury fashion and I start feeling guilty about everything I buy or I, I, I did a lot of um, personal styling sessions with a lot of luxury brands in Hong Kong and I, I kind of felt bad telling people to buy things that they didn't need. So then one day I woke up like, you know what? I'm just going to like cut out that p- side of my business and 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 that's it. You know, I'm, I'm going to stop telling people what to buy or stop telling people to buy shit that they don't need basically. <laughs> yeah. And I suppose that might have had like an impact on your income away because I mm. I would assume that you would have kind of influences and maybe sponsors or people trying to say, "Hey Grace, can you get people to uh, yes. can you promote yes. my brand here?" And yeah. So you kind of had to I w- yeah at that point I was very careful so I started being very careful who I collaborate with and um, a lot of brands would say to me oh can you do like a VIP session again and you're going to do this and that and I start saying I started proposing ideas like I'll only do it if you if you input something like ask your customer to bring in their old style I can revamp them I can help them to style or something that has been sitting in the wardrobe for like years and but they don't know how to style it I will combine that with new clothes that I will ask them to buy, but I want them to bring in their old clothes. No brands were interested. They just didn't, they weren't, they're just not interested. They were just like, no, we just want them to buy new things. I was like, okay then, maybe you should find another stylist. Mm. You know, I mean, it was hard to say no because it was gr- I was earning great money, but at the same time I was like, ah, oh, this is not good for my son and his generation and the generation after. And so that, that made me think a lot about everything i think that's when my mindset changed about fashion industry and then i was not very excited about everything anymore and i just kind of i felt everything just kind of repeat itself you know Mm. trends and they just keep regurgitating the same trend and then the most hated questions i i you know i get asked is like oh what kind of trend is it this season i'm like it's always the same you know it's always like the same old thing but they just change the name or change the color or I'm like, yeah, just go go online and have a look. Don't ask me. I'm just not interested, you know? Yeah. I think that's when I thought, mm, I need to change my career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because I think as much as uh, fashion is kind of, like you can see the pros of it, having uh, style is like finding yourself. It's kind of, it's what you wear. It's how you present yourself. It's how you express yourself. Um, yeah, so th- there's that other side to it, which, um, yeah, there's a lot of influence of, brands like selling you things you don't need there's like yeah. the hype around this sneaker or this um bag or whatever um and i i definitely haven't seen too much of that like or stylists um yeah saying like hey 
let's bring let's use what you already have um even though it might be like some clothes that they keep in a like door in the back of their house or whatever like let's bring that out and see if i can like style and work with that i think that's like a really cool approach that i haven't really seen before. yeah i mean i think people are a lot more aware now you know even with magazines and and a lot of social media has you know i'm i'm, I'm Pros and cons about sh- social media. I'm not. I'm not a huge fan. Of course, I use it. Um, but one thing about social media is, once you say something or trying to get a movement going, it it spreads like wildfire, right? And then that helps a lot with this whole sustainable fashion. Um, I don't want to call it trend, but because it's meant to be lo- more long lasting. Um, so I would say just you know use social media. Where it, where it fits and and trying to spread this message mm. um but i mean there are a lot of people a lot more aware compared to like 10 yeah, years ago which is great sure. uh, that's why i think the op shop prices have gone up a little bit because yeah. there's which is it's probably a good thing um because as much as on tiktok you see all oh, the sheen halls and whatever you also see the thrift halls and people like going out and like you know buying secondhand clothing and yeah. styling that which is and not ashamed to wear it or say it yeah. Which is really important, you know. Um, I think people just need to get over themselves and, <laughs> and I think yeah, I think Perth is um pretty good with buying secondhand clothing. There's a lot yeah. of events recently, um, like big uh, people running events in like warehouses and people bring their secondhand yes, clothes yes. and they're yeah, like Yeah, I went to that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's great. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. And like I'm really good at finding like um bargains and you can always spot something. I can go to a shittiest shop you know, anywhere, you know, and I can always find one thing that I like is, I think you just have to train your eye, um, which I understand that not many people can. Um, so that's when I, when I come in and help people, you know, I, I did a lot of styling, like personal styling with clients in Hong Kong and I did a lot of pro bono work as well. Um, it's the, f- the most fun thing. And I, I think after I decided not to do all those VIP styling sessions with brands, I went another way and just started doing more like personal shopping and styling, which I love doing because it's so much fun. You know, I can I can straight away see how I'm going to change this person when in their head they can't see it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a very interesting story. And then you, you get to meet a lot of people and then they tell you, you go to the home. I'm always like, let me edit your wardrobe. It's my favorite thing to do. Oh, cool. um, and it's just so much fun. So for me, I, I edit my wardrobe all the time. When we moved here, I kind of like gave a lot of stuff away or like trying to resell it. Now I kind of regret it sometimes because, you know, when I get reminded, I'm like, oh, I wish I kept that top or shoes or mm. whatever and stuff, you know. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So that's a really fun part of, of starting, doing personal styling. For sure. Um, sort of a big, maybe broad question is, what do you think the difference is in um, kind of the fashion scene in the West compared to the East? So like, the West being like Australia and the US compared to sort of the Asian fashion scene like Japan, South Korea, um, China. Um, I would say maybe 15 years ago, especially in China, is very different from what it is now. So when I moved to Shanghai from London, it was 2005. Um, I mean, people were stylish, but they're not like completely out there yet. Um, so they're not as experimental as now. But I guess because the, the China is a very wealthy country and then there's a lot of people 
that travel outside of China. Um, so they, they are more open to, to trying new things. And the stylists, now they're super stylish and they're quite daring, the Chinese from mainland China. Hong Kong has always been very you know forward because we're a small city and we, get, we were influenced by the British, obviously. Um, so people in Hong Kong are always very stylish anyway. They're very aware of trends in fashion. So you could be walking down the street and then you look at this woman or a guy from the back and you're like, wow, you know, this person is so young and you turn around and it's like a 50 or 60-year-old woman. Mm. You know, it's like cause they love their fashion in Hong Kong. Um, Japan is always trendy, is always like on point, is always out there and very adventurous the way they do styling and it's a very inspirational place. Um, other part of this, places like, Indonesia or I- Indonesia and Malaysia, I'm not quite sure um, of the demographics, but um, Korea, I mean, all the pop culture now is just massive, isn't it? I mean, they, they're just like killing it, which is great yeah. to see. Yeah. Um, I think the West, um, they're always le- they're, they've always been leading in the fashion scene. You know, if you want to break into the fashion industry, I would say you definitely need to go to either New York, London or Paris. No doubt. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, because you learn so fast. You you get thrown in deep end, and that's that's when you can see whether you can swim or sink. That's it. For sure. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, there's a lot. Obviously, a lot to that um, question. Um, yeah, I think in Japan, it's. I think I feel like in Japan, like it's just been a part of their culture for so long that that's why. Um, they're kind of known for their fashion sense there. And same with South Korea. Like you walk out into the street, everybody's just um, dressed really well um, compared to maybe in like it's quite different I found here in Australia or in the US. Like you go outside, people don't really have that much pride in their The way they dress, it might be, I'm not sure if it's because of the working industry or what it is but um do you think that's why i guess people in the east take more pride in their fashion sense than over here in australia for example because it has been a part of that their culture i think people especially here i find that they they love being casual and i was actually quite surprised um the style here is very um sporty um i think almost a lot of people are very into sports here right or they I know I'm always seeing people in like the yoga pants or, or the cycling sure, shorts true, and yeah. crop top. I've never seen so many crop tops in my life in one place, you know. <laughs> um, it's definitely more sporty here. And when people dress up here, it's, it's very, um, it's not very creative. They look really nice, but it's not very creative. They're quite safe, I would say. Very safe. Um, so when I go out, you know, when me and my husband go for a date night or something, when we go to you know, a nice restaurant, I always see women beautifully dressed, but they're very safe, you know, whereas mm. if you go in London or New York, people are a lot more daring um, the way they dress. So, yeah, I it, there's no right or wrong. It's just, yeah. it's just how people being brought up or how they see fashion. Yeah, for sure. I, I do feel like... Um, Earth is less of a creative city than like if you travel, you know, to other places, um, yeah, Korea or Japan. Like I, I feel like Japan is a very creative city. If you look at the architecture, um, how the city's built, what what people are wearing, 
Um, there's also like a car scene over there, for example. Whereas here, maybe we're more of a working class city. I know we have a big influence from mining, the mining industry, which fuels a lot of things. So maybe we don't uh, we don't really care so much about creativity. Even even if you look at our yeah architecture and our public art, yeah. it's not as creative no. as yeah over east, for example. No, I think. Um um, you know, we've only been here for three years, but what I've observed is I think WA rely on so much on the mining business, but surely at some point when it fades out, you need to find another industry to support yeah. WA, right? And that's why I think we need to plan ahead to see what that what that is to support the state. Um and that's why my husband and I are starting this new project that we're, we're working on. is basically an art sculpture park um, that we would like to to build in WA. Um, so it's kind of like a Nyoshima, but bring to you know WA. Um, so Nyoshima is is a few islands in Japan where all the art park, sculpture park, you know, or art installation um, are there. And every year they have like an art festival. It's a great place to, to visit and it's so much fun and we want to bring that to WA because tourism is important. And I think even when we first moved here, people were like, oh, are you moving to... You? Oh, we're like, oh, you moving to Australia? Oh, are you moving to Sydney or Melbourne? I'm like, no, Perth. First of all, they were like, where is that? Second of all, they're like, why? They don't... A lot of people don't know Perth or they, they think, you know, Perth is really boring and... And that's what I thought as well. And so when I first arrived here, I did so much homework, where to go and eat, where to go hang out. And I was so surprised that there's so many cool people and really cool places to hang out. So that's why I'm always trying to help on my Instagram to to post whatever I can to help small businesses because I want people to know that there are so many cool people and cool places in Perth. It's not what you think. And it's working because most a lot of people from Hong Kong or like my London friends, they were like, Oh, Perth seems really cool. Maybe we'll think about coming over one day, you know? So that's that's what I want to do. Yeah, for sure. I think Perth is really cool. It's just like knowing the places to go, knowing the people to meet and that sort of thing. Um, but I can totally see why international people kind of look at Perth and they see it as this boring place because we don't kind of showcase our culture enough. Um. And I think that that also has to do with our our values as um, as a state and a city, because I my sort of opinion is um, our values are sort of influenced a lot from mining because uh, yeah most people are kind of working class in they're kind of fly in fly out workers and that's great because they can fly out make lots of money come back buy a house uh, buy like a big car buy a jet ski and then. Where it's created sort of more of an individualistic culture. We kind of keep to ourselves, not really much of a community. So from from that kind of culture, they're like, well, why do we need creativity in our city? Why should we invest in creativity and sculptures and art? Um, but I think tourism is a big factor that people don't think of because if you think of other people coming here, like what do we provide? People love culture they love seeing art they love seeing creativity so i do think we need to like showcase that more and maybe if 
the government could like get behind more creatives here and kind of showcase um, just like you're kind of sharing what's cool here if they like promote these things as well um, yeah there'll be more like a, of a benefit from the tourism industry yeah yeah totally and I think how how we should promote Perth is you know everyone knows how amazing all the outbacks and we need to show more of the other side of Perth because um, most people what I say to me you know I've got visitors coming I think next year and then they were like, oh, where, where are you going to take me? Oh, I'm always saying to my husband, oh, where can we take them? You know, apart from like Rottnest, Margaret River. So that's why we want to build this um, sculpture park because we want people to have a destination, you know, to go to. And yeah, let's make Perth, you know, even better. Yeah, that, that um, sculpture park sounds amazing. Can you like tell us even more sort of about that and the, the concepts and everything and like what's it sort of gonna look like and so because i've been to naoshima um in japan and i kind of know so basically in naoshima you have to it's, it's quite a chore to get there so you basically go to japan get on a train get on another train i think you have to take two ferries to get to this tiny island on that island there's only sculptures and art installations there's nothing else it's like a few restaurants and just a really cute kind of like a, a small village, but you have to go island hopping to look at all these uh, amazing, like, installation. So that's what we want to bring here. So it's but like the, the art that's kind of um, attracting people to this location and then they want yep. to see, like, another one, so they go here. Yep. Yeah, that's – I think that's a really exciting way to kind of navigate yeah. through yeah. a city or um, a place, yeah. So we just want to build it, you know, even down south or north, east, west – So. People will come here and just spend more time here, basically, rather than just come here and then just leave or or not even come to Perth at all and just go to the East Coast. And um, what's your sort of approach to getting, uh, making this project happen? Are you going to, is it going to be like funded by government or like how would you, how are you going to go um, about that? A, we had, last year we started meeting a lot of people and a lot of people think WA is ready for this, which is great. Um no one has said there's a bad idea yet. Um, and we've met with the tourism board and they love the idea. And I guess I guess anything involved the government might be might take a long time to to achieve. So we'll hopefully get some private funding um, and start from there. Um, but we'll probably start do like a, like a satellite version first um, and get an area, a suburb that is willing to jump in and just let us do whatever we want and um because you know once one area does a really good job and they're attracting more people to come then the other area will get FOMO right and then um hopefully then everyone would be like oh you know we want to be part of this and then it just snowball and then before we know it WAB so happening yeah for <laughs> sure well, I hope um I hope that happens yes. um I was just trying to find this article as well because it kind of reflects I guess our values as a state. I'm not sure if you're um, aware of the. I think it's called Barup Hub, or there's like some indigenous rock art like far north, and uh, there's some woodside mining that's destroying it. Basically, have you heard about that? Yeah. So that's what's happening. It's uh, I think probably fifty thousand year old indigenous rock art. That's um, yeah the the mining there is like affecting it and uh my take 
on that is um yeah we should value like that rock art because one it's like indigenous and it has you know it's the art represents indigenous and the um culture and their stories um which it's been there for like you know probably over fifty thousand years um but then also you know if the government yeah obviously the government wants to make money through like the mining and that sort of thing but that's kind of like short term you know that that uh might run out but if we think of uh tourism the tourism industry like it's um, amazing rock art out there like people will pay from around the world to like go up there but and i didn't even know about this rock art either so i feel like the government yeah should just do more to kind of value creativity value art and it connects to the tour tourism industry as well yeah yeah i'm not sure whether because of covid that every single country lost a lot of money that they get they panic and they just want to have a quick fix of things yeah. Um, I mean, when you think about it, you know, we have thousands, thousands of years old of history. Why would you want to destroy it? Mm. Um, but you know, not everyone thinks the same. And then, I don't know. I just, I just hope that at some point, you know, WA will come up with something that is more long-lasting than what we have. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, I just read the name of the rock art. It's Murajuga rock art. Right. Um. Back to your sort of story, um, what was it like meeting these interesting greats like uh, Kate Moss, Naomi Campbell, um, and uh, were you? Um, I suppose this was that idea, and you weren't so much styling for them, but you were kind of meeting them and managing uh, mm. shoots and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, what was your kind of interactions with them? Because I was working. For Edward and for that helped a lot. <laughs> you know, they were super nice to me. I mean, I met Kate in London. We were shooting. So I actually met Kate and Naomi at the same weekend. Um, we were shooting in Paris with Paolo Reversi for a week for ID and Italian Vogue. And me and the other assistant, we were so tired after like back-to-back shooting. Because um, it's a long day, you know, because we're always... The first one to to get there to arrange everything, and the last one to leave because you have to pack everything, and it's very tedious, you know. If you, I once return like ties, have to separate ties into different you know ties to different brands and return it them, so then the courier can pick, come and pick it up. I once returned tie, some had to separate ties, like I think there were like two thousand ties, in one night, you know stuff like that. Wow. <laughs> That's why sometimes that's I get so sick of clothes. I yeah, can't okay, even. that's where it comes from. You yeah. just like <laughs> you're sick of like seeing clothes. Yeah, I'm sick of seeing clothes. And I just like, oh, yeah, I can't deal with it anymore. Um, Kate was super cool, exactly how she is, you know, normally. Um, and Naomi, I met Naomi first on on a Saturday, or let's say on a Friday, Saturday. She and I have been to- we have been talking on the phone for at least a week already before we even met. Because Edward, because I was Edward's PA, he always said, oh, just call Grace for this and that, da, 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 da. Um, So we were already, like, I remember once I was on the phone with Naomi and then I bumped into a friend in London on the, on the street. So I was talking to my friend and then suddenly my my phone rang and it says Naomi Campbell and my friend was just like, Naomi Campbell's calling you. Oh, my God, you know? And it was just so, it, it, now when I think about it, it's quite surreal. So, you know, we were talking to her and then by the time I met her, 
she, I mean, she has a presence for sure. You know when she walks into a room, right? And she came into Palo Reverse's studio. I mean, of, of course, she, you know, she and Edward are really good friends. She came in and first thing she said was like, where is Grace? And I thought I did something wrong. She gave me the biggest hug and said, it was so nice to finally meet you. And I was like, oh, wow. the queen said that to me, the fashion queen, you know? And she was just super cool, you know, chill. I mean, it, it, sometimes when you meet people like you've seen in magazines, you're kind of like, whoa, starstruck, you know? And But she was actually really normal, really easygoing. And, you know, she has a presence for sure. And we'll, we'll talk about Formula One because she was dating a Formula F1 guy. And we'll talk about F1. And it was kind of surreal. And then when I met Kate Moss, um, by at that point, me and my... The other system was so tired, shooting back to back, and then we went took the Eurostar to Paris. We basically left a whole suitcase in Paris that we forgot because we were carrying nine other bags already, um, and that bag has all the underwear, all the you know clips, you know. And then Ed was like, "Oh, give Kate a pair of g-string. We're going to do this, you know, cover for ID and then nothing. We had nothing. I almost had to like take my own pants off together. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> well, I had one pair of clean knickers in my in my suitcase like it was from my own collection so i gave it to kate and then um and that was that and wow. then after the shoot i said to the photo assistant i'm like do you guys want this pair that worn by me and kate moss <laughs> <laughs> in hindsight i should have framed it yeah know? just sell on ebay and <laughs> um they were super cool and i mean i wish i took pictures of them uh, but it wasn't social media wasn't big at that point and you know i was just too embarrassed to do stuff like that you know i'm so it's a very different era, definitely. And um, so I met all most of the supermodels I've met throughout this whole journey, and it's been great. I mean, my favorite supermodels when I was younger was Linda Vagelista, and um, and she was so cool when I met her. And I met her in New York. We did a Japan Vogue cover together, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a great journey for sure. And uh, photographers well. Um Stephen Klein, Annie Leibovitz, Mara Testino, were these all through ID as well? The, the yes. connection with it was through Edward. Yeah, Edward, yeah. Um, Annie Leibovitz was with Vanity Fair. Um, there's another start. So after I left Edward, I I started freelancing, uh, assisting other really big stars as well. And because I assisted Edward Enningfall, everybody was like, "Oh, when I go to London, they always ask me to assist them." So that. Uh, Annie Leibovitz was, we were shooting Hugh Grant um, in Savoy Hotel in London for Fantasy Fair. And I think it was the slightest, it was uh, Bruce Pax, I think. Um, that was crazy. That was a shoot when I had to return like 2,000 ties. You know, I was sitting in Bruce's hotel room trying to sort out 2,000 ties. And yeah, it oh was God. a very, very long night. night. Yeah. And um, it, it like, Annie is a great, is an amazing photographer, obviously. And her production, the way she shoots, is just like masterclass, masterclass. Really nice lady as well. Um, Stephen Klein, we went to the Hamptons in New York to shoot. And I remember the whole shoot was, I think we, we all stayed at the his house, I think, if I remember correctly. Um the most memorable moments was when me and Edward arrived in this house, which is huge. We saw two horses came running towards us. I was like, whoa, that's really 
big horses. By the time it came out, it was his, his two Great Danes. They were oh, wow. massive, massive. And me, me and Edward were quite scared. You know, I, I like dogs, but when it's that, that big, I'm like, I get a bit like, nervous. Um, but he was super good. I mean, I think because of Edward, I got like a special treatment. Mm. Um, I mean, there were like, I've worked with some mean people as well. Don't get me wrong. There are many in the fashion industry. There's, you ask for pros and cons. You know, the cons is like there are many mean people. The many entitled people that mm, they think that yeah. they're more important than they actually are. Um, but I tend to steer right away from those people. Yeah. Um, but when you have a title, it's very easy for people to try to be your friend, obviously. Yeah. Um, I can see very clearly after I left ID and after I left Vogue, um, people change. And I guess it, that's for every industry, I'm sure. Um, so you just have to adju- adjust your mindset as well um so you you need to have very good eq to know how to handle those kind of relationships and also i think i would say to young people you, you need to know how to read the room yeah when to say what when to stop talking when to give your two cents and stuff like that very important um sure. which i think i learned a lot during this whole 20 something years i've made a lot of mistakes as well don't get me wrong mm-hmm. um but at the same time yeah, there are a lot of mean people in the fashion industry, um, which they can they can make you insecure. They can make you think a lot of different ways about yourself. But uh, I I thank every single one of them because mm. I wouldn't become who I am today mm. if it wasn't for them. Yeah, for sure. I think yeah, it's important. Well, what I was assuming is important to kind of um, don't when you meet these like celebrities or high level people, don't you know put them in. A pedestal, pedestal yeah. too much just like they're a person as well yeah. they're human and then maybe when you work your, your way up um you might be on this pedestal as well like because you have this um you know work with so and so and maybe you have your own title it might uh influence you to like treat others like below right. you a different way but right. i guess uh it's maybe it's just important to know your yourself and yeah just talking to another human. Yeah, that's a good point because I think, um, I mean, there were many times I was treated not in a nice way. That's what I've learned um, from my past, what not to do and what to do and all that. I mean, I I can't say that I've treated my assistant like, you know, completely 100% with love either. Sometimes, you know, when they do something wrong, I do scream and shout when I was younger. But as I got older... I learn how to speak to people in a different way, but still get the same result. I think this; these are all the things you need to learn as a human being, you know. Um, and I think one one thing I've watched is when people are being mistreated, then they mistreat their assistants, and it just snowballs into forever, you know. And um, and I think I kind of caught that quite early on, and and kind of check myself. Oh. That was a bit too much, Grace. You know, don't do that again. After I've done it, like, you know, maybe many times, and I'm sure if you ask my previous assistants, they're like, oh, Grace was really mean, but, you know, I know she doesn't mean it. It was just a moment when she was stressed. And so now when I think about it, but all my assistants become my really good friends now, and we're still friends, and we still talk a lot on WhatsApp. And I think when people look at me, they think, oh, she's such a bitch, or she's like this and that, and she's so fierce, and... 
when they get to know me, they realize that, oh, she's a very loyal and she's very black and white and she's mm. doesn't BS. And I think that's, that's why I still have all my assistants are very good friends. Yeah. And, and then some of them are mothers now. And, you know, you, 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 you create this, this really close knit of people that you want to work with. I, I think, the past, before I left Hong Kong, maybe the past, before I left Hong Kong, maybe prior to that, five years prior to that, I only work with people that I really, truly like. They might not be the best for that job, whether it's hairstylist or, or makeup, but because we get along so well, I'd much rather have that kind of vibe than just toxic people around me. Maybe they're great makeup artists, but they're just full of attitude and they want to be the center of attention and all that i think you just need to surround your people by good people so to create good things yeah i think uh yeah that's what i found just as a photographer myself like when you like the people you're working with it just makes the whole job easy and fun and um i suppose when you're yeah, surrounding yourself with those people you're going to have like you know more jobs with your career so if you want to live a life that you enjoy just Surrounding yourself with uh, people that you like being around is you know, just a really important thing. Um, and after ID um, and London, you were part of the launch team behind Vogue China, which is huge. Yeah. It was a time when my elder sister, um, we found out she had um, cancer. So it was a very difficult time um, in my life that, I was still living in London when I found out that my sister, my big sister had cancer and it was stage four, which means that she wasn't going to live that long. And then I went back to Hong Kong for a cu- uh, f- quite a few months, I think, but she passed away shortly after. And that's when Vogue China called me. And I think Edward called, Ed, I think Edward told, I think Edward called me or, or he told the um, vice president about me so they got in touch with me and said, you have to work, come and work for us. We're launching Vogue China. You're the most qualified person we know. At that point, I was like, oh, I don't know. I've never been to China. I can't even speak Mandarin um, because I'm going to live and die in London. I'm a London girl, you know. And then I was in Hong Kong when the editor-in-chief then um, called me to, for a meeting. And then she was like, oh, please think about it. We really want to have your input and you have international experience and I was like okay you know let me think about it and at that point I didn't really want to because I I really want to live in London but then I think I broke up with my boyfriend then anyway I had no ties and I was like oh why not let's give it a go and I so I I packed everything and moved it was 2005 and I, I was told at that point in Shanghai I came in the right time because everything was really modern and opened up and there was so many great things to do and nice places to go to, you know, like cool expats and whatever. So it was a really good experience. I lived in Shanghai for two years and then the whole team got transferred to Beijing. And then my editor-in-chief was like, oh, I don't think you really like Beijing. Just go to Hong Kong, based in the Hong Kong office, and you come to Beijing or Shanghai to shoot all the time. I'm like, okay, cool. So I moved back to Hong Kong after two years and then um, it was great, you know, because... I would go to China every month um, or sometimes every other month and then um, and I would fly around the world for like fashion week or good thing about the fashion industry, there's a lot of money throwing around. So they would invite editors to go and travel to Paris or, you know, Greece or 
anywhere exotic just to have a fashion show. It's kind of surreal. I mean, I understand why people are attracted to the fashion industry because it's fun. That lifestyle, yeah. That lifestyle you get on, you know, business class here, first class there, and celebrities and whatever. <laughs> yeah, you get to interview celebrities, and I mean, it's amazing. I mean, because of the Vogue China job, that's how I met Alonso, Fernando Alonso. You know, I'm I love Formula One, and when I met him, I couldn't believe it. I mean, he is by far, no, Lewis Hamilton is by far the the most special person I've ever met throughout my whole career, for sure. Wow. You know, because it was so, he was so cool. I mean, anybody out there who's into Formula One, I just want to say Lewis is a really cool guy, despite of what anyone else said about him. <laughs> so he like was super cool. As much as you're into fashion as well, you're also into. I actually Formula can One. talk about <laughs> Formula One a lot more than fashion. Yeah, I wanted to get into Formula One first before fashion, and then Edward called me, and changed my whole career. Um, and was it while you were at? Um, China that you work with Maggie Chung and um, John Wu. Yes, yes. So yeah, those were like two major moments for me as well because I grew up watching their films. You know, um, John Wu was so nice and really like humble and really like quiet. Um, so I did a um, a photo shoot with him in in China. Um, I flew. No, I I went to China for a day to shoot him. Maggie Jones was like, whoa, you know, this style icon of, of all times. And she was amazing, really friendly, not difficult at all. And yeah, it was it was kind of like a moment. And then uh, and then after the shoot, she invited me to her home. You know, I wish I went and hang out with Maggie <laughs> Jung, you know. Um, but yes, yeah, super style. And she was very easygoing. And I prep a lot. I think one thing about... Um, being a stylist, you have to do your homework. I think when I first moved from London to China, um, I would do a shoot and I would call in everything under the sun. And back then, 2005, all the PR companies, all the, all the luxury brand PRs were like, who is this Grace I'm calling all the clothes and, you know, is she doing a film, you know, or is it a, just a fashion shoot? But what I was used to when I was working with Edward, we would shoot like maybe eight to ten pages so which means eight to ten outfits. Sometimes there's more. If there, if there are more models, then more clothes. What I found when I first moved to Hong Kong and Shanghai, people would do um, shoot a, a photo shoot of six outfits. They would call in eight outfits. I was like, how are you going to have choice if it doesn't fit the model or if it doesn't look right? So I, I'm opposite. I call in like loads out. of yeah. clothes. So all the PRs were like, they weren't used to the way I worked and then they realized, oh, she came from London and and this is how they do things, you know. So so they, they increase what we call sample the, the sample rack a lot more. Um, because there are more demands. Because if one magazine has it, that means other magazines can't use it. So there's like a rotation. And of course, it's very hierarchy. If you're like Vogue, you're up there and then there's like, you know, all the other rest and mm. If you're like an independent small magazine, I mean, forget about it, you know. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so after all the Vogue and L and whatever they've after they've used it, then you have a chance. And I suppose because that uh, idea, you're more sort of the um, stylist assistant, and then when you went to Shanghai and Hong Kong for Vogue China, you're more of the you were the chief. I was uh, a fashion senior fashion editor. Senior yeah. fashion editor. So you. Um, 
when you were at ID, I guess you wouldn't have had much say or creative no. control in what no. something. But then in Shanghai, you yes. did. You yeah. could. Because my my strength, I I I'm not a writer. I can't I can't write. Um, so I'm a very visual person. So everything I did were all just shoots and interviews because I speak good English. So I will, you know, my boss would send me out for like more important people like Stella McCartney or Ray Kawakubu, who, you know, who who designed Comme des Garçons. That was a moment I was like, wow, you know, I was so nervous interviewing her because she's so major. Um, so I would get sent out to all these international designers because I speak good English and when when it comes to you know photo shoot i would just do the styling and you know the art direction and sometimes the production and and yeah and writing i would let's say if i interview ray kawakubo and i would interview write in english and my team will translate in chinese and i can read it back most of it to see if they, they make any mistakes yeah um and I saw you also did some styling for Lana Del Rey. Was that for yes. Vogue China as well? Yes, yes, yes. I met um, I met her in Singapore, and it was a Mulberry event that I got flew out to attend this event, and then I shot her, and she was so cool. And I because I was listening to music a lot, and um, you know we we're just doing like singing together. <laughs> she was super cool, like very easygoing, and yeah, beautiful. You know, beautiful woman. And uh, her team were really nice to work with as well. So it was, uh, it was, yeah, I've been quite lucky with my journey. Um, now I'm trying to face out all the horrible things that I experienced, you know, with horrible people and stuff. Um, and just, you know, look forward to what I'm going to do next. And um, how did the shots come out with Lana Del Rey? I, I shot with a, a local photographer, a Singaporean photographer. Um, and... Uh, the, the, I think the, the problem with sometimes with photo shoots, especially with celebrities, they don't have a lot of time. So they will say, I'll give you an hour and you just have to bang it out, like eight shots or ten shots, which a, a real rush if that's including hair and makeup. Because most of the time are taken by hair and makeup artists because they, they need longer time. And we did it in the hotel room, which is not ideal. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we, I mean, we shot it, but we shot everything quite quite tight. So it doesn't show too much of the hotel. Um, yeah, so sometimes, you know, you, you have this idea of the celebrities that you want for ages and they can only give you like an hour and then you're like, oh, okay, you know, and it's only in the hotel room. So what do you do? You just have to make the most out of it. Yeah, I think um, just like when maybe you left that, you guys left the suitcase in Paris and you had to kind of style for what you had um, and then you kind of had to do the shoot in the hotel, that's kind of where your creative abilities really come yeah. out you have to work with what you've got I guess, oh yeah I for sure for sure you get thrown a lot you know thrown in a lot of like you know ad hoc stuff that you just have to deal with yeah um would you like for creatives who live in places like perth you know we're quite isolated but i know a lot of us want to work you know with big brands or people like this um is it is it possible to work with Big brands here in Perth, or would you say buy a ticket, go to London, go to Paris, go to New York? Um, I think it's hard to do creative business. It depends what it is, right? If it, if you're doing like a let's say a food business, yes, you can work from Perth. If you if you're doing styling, I think it's quite hard. Um, I think 
most people will just leave Perth and go to the East Coast, which makes sense. But I think if you're going to make that move, you might as well try and save some money and go to places like London and go to where the hub is. Um, learn from them, get as much as you can out of them because it's a different caliber, you know, even compared to the East Coast. And it's, it's something that you can't learn from school and unless you want to be a fashion designer, which you might need to learn the techniques, I say just if you want to break into the fashion industry, definitely just go in and work in an industry rather than study. You know, I think studying like styling and all that is, I wouldn't recommend because it's all about who you know and who you assist. Just find the person that you really love to assist and just hound them. So are you saying like, because uh, we've got maybe courses here at Curtin and TAFE and that sort of thing with in the fashion industry, um, you're saying it's better to kind of, you know, um, you can learn yourself through other means like the internet or books or that and then sort of um, it's better to try and connect with people in the industry and like try and be their assistant or yeah. try and bring them value. Yeah. And invest I mean, in I that. always encourage young people to, to have an education for sure and take it seriously because even if you want to do a styling course here, you'll definitely learn something from it. But I would just go straight to the industry and work instead because what you've learned, fashion is, you know, unless you want to learn fashion design, styling is something that is, is all about feeling and, and about vision um, and, and it's very visual. So you need to just go in and observe how people work in a sh- on a shoot and how production works, how a makeup artist or, or hairstylist, how they work together with a stylist and it's, it's better to be on set then learn from, there's no books to te- teach you that. Yeah. Sure. Um, and since moving to uh, Perth, what sort of work have you been doing? What sort of work have you been enjoying? What sort of um, yeah projects have you been sort of working on? Um, I'm quite picky about what I do now. Um, I think having, you know, done this for 26 years, I the reason we moved to Perth because... We left Hong Kong because of the Hong Kong ongoing protest. It wasn't safe anymore. We didn't feel safe anymore. And we have a young boy. Um, so since we've been here, I, the first year and a half, I was just doing all the paperwork, you know, trying to, to, to get all the documents going. And then I did a few consultancy work um, via Zoom when COVID hit. And it was a really good time for me to rethink of what I want to do, my next step my next career or my next move because I know I don't have that kind of spark in fashion anymore. Actually, funny enough, um, Anna Winter called me when I, after I moved here because at, I think I moved here a year. Just casually, Anna Winter. Yeah, yes. just casually, you know, <laughs> the, the big boss of, of Vogue. Um, she got in touch with me because I knew my former boss was leaving Vogue China, the editor-in-chief, and I knew they were looking for people because I saw on Instagram that she said she was leaving. And then I, a day or two days later, my phone went nuts. And and I think I was watching The Crown with my husband at night <laughs> when my phone was going nuts. I didn't even look at it. By the time I picked up my phone, I had all these missed calls from London, Paris. And, and I was like, well, that's weird. And I had so many DMs. And, and it was Edward calling me. And then my, my friend who lives in Paris 
she called me because she used to assist Edward as, as well. She was like, Edward's looking for you. You have to call him right now. I'm like, what is going on? So I called him and he was like, darling, Anna Winter needs to you know, talk to you. you know, can I give her your number? I'm like, uh, yeah, sure, but what is going on? And, and then he told me. So I guess they were looking for a replacement for an editor-in-chief position in a very early stage. And she soon called me and 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 I was like, oh, and, I, and then you know the lighting here, how you set up the lighting mm-hmm. here? I made my husband set up exactly the same so I look really good. Oh, wow, wow. <laughs> he was like, oh, why am I doing all this work when you don't even want this job? I'm like, because it's only winter, you know? Um, and so, so she soon called me and then we spoke about the editor-in-chief role and then she was asking, you know, what, what, my, what my plan what, how long I'm going to stay in Australia? What's my plan? And from minute, I was like, "Oh, shall I take this job? You know, that would be so powerful, and it'd be so, so great to have that title and all that and stuff." But I was like, "Not ready to leave Australia," and we're really happy in Perth. And I kind of put my ego aside. I mean, don't get me wrong. At one point, I was like, "Oh my god, all those bitches and people that bitched about me. You know, this is the best revenge." So that, my ego came in for like two seconds. I was like, no, 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 no. Think about this logically. Um, how is it, it going to affect our, my whole family? You know, my husband and my son, and we just got here a year ago. You know, do we really want to leave? You know, I, I, I definitely don't think I want to bring up my son in China. So that was the first thing. And, and I spoke to my husband, we discussed it, and she was so cool, and I think... Because I was, I came highly recommended by Edward Enningfo and Jonathan Newhouse, who owns Condé Nast. Um, she was super cool and super nice. First thing she asked me was, like, "How are you? How's COVID? Are you okay?" I was like, "Ooh, Anna Winter's asking me, asking me if I'm okay." Um, so the conversation, I said to, I said to Jason, "I'm like, oh, this conversation is going to go for like three minutes." I know she's like in and out, very direct. It lasted for quite a while, and I was like, "Oh gosh," and because I knew I wasn't going to take this job or, or I, I, I was going to say no um, that I don't want to leave Australia I, I didn't have that kind of pressure of impressing her um, so it was a really good position to be in and I think when you're older like my age when you know what you want and what you don't want it's a great skill to have mm. if I was 29 or 39 maybe I would have said yeah sure you know I'll move tomorrow but I know it will stress me out so much to a point that I would not have a family life anymore. Something's got to give. I think it's great when, when people, especially moms, can juggle both. Um, now, when I think about it, something has to give. You can't just be good at everything. You know, It's either your family or your child or, or your career is going to give. And it's, it's very hard to find um, a work-life balance. And I think I can find it here. And now I just do projects that I like. Um, so my husband and I shot the Karen Up campaign for uh, during yeah, Christmas. Yeah, I saw that. That was amazing. Yeah. yeah, so we worked with Ken Leung, who's a great creative director, who also, you know, you should interview him. He's a, he's a I've, great... I've sent him a DM. Oh, yeah? Yeah? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe I'll show him another one. Keep hounding him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm in touch with him. I, I can put in a good word. Oh, yeah. Um, he's, you know, he just moved from New York back here. And I think... We're at the time that there's so many cool creatives that are from Perth that came back here or or decided to move to, to, to Perth for no apparent reason. I mean, maybe it's our time to shine, right? Yeah, yeah I was I was thinking that just from what I'm seeing, um, and just kind of maybe even over COVID, 
like I, I noticed that um, people were getting more connected just here in Perth because it didn't affect us too much. Um, but yeah, I definitely think over time goes on, we'll definitely just keep building the scene here yeah, and yeah. see what happens. I mean, I think, you know, t- by, by turning down that, that offer from, from Anna Winter or, or even turning that, say no to that discussion, I was like, would I regret this when I, you know, next year or the year after? And so far I haven't. Because I, I know sometimes when when the timing is not, is not right, it's, it's, it's better to say no. And and I, I think I need to put my mental health and everything first before of my ego. And loads of people thought I was crazy for turning that job down or, or even not trying to push it to the next level. I was like, no, it's not what I want. You know, mm. it might be something you want. And yeah. But you're not yeah, getting. Yeah, but you're it. not getting a phone call though. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> so uh, yeah, most people thought I was crazy, but I was like, oh, it's so much better to say no. Yeah, I, I feel like I guess it just um, relates to where you are and your values, yes. where you are in your life, um, and you know, you were more maybe career focused before. You know, yeah. London, ID Vogue, like um, styling for these high level people and. Um, and now I guess you're more sort of family oriented yes. Yes. and, uh, I think Perth is one of the best places in the world to probably raise a family. Yeah. Um, it's great. And you can still sort of do what you love. Yeah. Maybe not at an international scale necessarily, but yeah. it looks like you're still having fun on these projects. The Karen up yeah. project looked really fun. Yeah. So. And we, it was, it was a, it was a great team and, and, and who knows, you know, I'm, I now might want to even do like, you know, short films and. I've always wanted to be a, a film director, but I was just too chicken to do it. You know, I was just too nervous and too scared. And I was like, oh, you know, but now I'm like, oh, who's going to start a new career in film at this age? But I'm like, well, why not? You know? Yeah, for sure. I've always thought um, as much as Perth uh, maybe doesn't have these international things going on, it almost leaves a space for people to create these yeah. things, just like um, uh, you and Jason want to, you know, make that park yeah. and like, that sort of thing we can we can bring these things to Perth make this sort yeah. of stuff happen in yeah, Perth. yeah for sure for sure I mean that's why we started you know meeting loads of people last year and uh and we will continue to this project and I think I'm more I'm more interested in doing that rather than more fashion stuff maybe um it depends what it is if it's something that that is meaningful then I'm I'm more willing to do it um but it has to be something that's just not you know like um like a simple idea of just like just to get more likes you know i'm just not really interested in that yeah 100 yeah. percent. grace thank you so much for thank coming for on the invite. podcast it's been amazing to talk about you and hear about your whole career and just everything you've been doing so yes i really appreciate you coming on it's been wicked lovely to chat um where can people find you or follow you and see what's happening um you can go to my instagram which is grace slam style um, or my website, which is uh, thegracelam.com. Awesome. I'll leave all the links in the show notes.